Hey everybody, welcome to Brainerd International Raceway and the first ever NHRA Insider Podcast live here in the pits. Brian Lowe's with my right-hand man, Tony Pedregon. What's happening, Tony? Oh, happy to be in Brainerd. And uh, I'm going to start with, with telling you my, my trip to, to Brainerd, <laughs> Minnesota. So I flew through Minneapolis for the first time in over 10 years. I was supposed to land in Brainerd and uh, I got stranded along with a few tuners. So I made a two and a half hour trip here with Aaron Brooks driving who works with Bob Tasca, Ron Douglas, who is co-owner and works with Josh Hart, Dickie Venables, my former crew chief, and Matt Hagen's current crew chief, and myself. So that was two and a half hours worth of some serious education for me. So glad to be here. Now it must have been awesome, the great ride. I actually drove up by myself, which is kind of how it goes. You have friends, <laughs> and I do a lot of stuff uh, by myself. We are going to have a couple of guests here on this show. Eric Anders will be on first in a few minutes, and then followed by current Top Fuel points leader, Justin Ashley. But let's talk a little bit about Topeka, Kansas. We came through the Topeka area last week. They're going to pull a pro stock car right through the audience. That's cool. Uh, the race last week was wild in the sense that we didn't finish till late at, at night on Sunday, which is an anomaly for us. And we saw really semifinal action in all three categories it was pretty incredible. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, the, the biggest issue and the biggest challenge for all of the tuners and the teams, the racers on the track was the humidity. And they, they measured the humidity by water grains per square inch. And 130, 140 water grains, that's pretty humid. I think that's as humid as it's been yeah, since year. I can yeah. remember. You have to go back a lot of years. So uh, that really presented a lot of challenges for the nitro cars in particular, the pro stock cars. Their power will fall off, but for the most part, you know, with the nitro cars, they, they really try to burn a lot of fuel. The more fuel they can burn, the more power. The, the more power, the quicker, the faster they'll go. And that's the trick when that water, that moisture displaces some of the oxygen. And uh, they seem to work around it. It was tough, I think, the first few sessions. Yep. But by the time we got to Sunday and it rained off and on, and they got the first round in, we were, yeah. we were good. We were ready to bring the race here to, to Brainerd. And then we got the second round in. But yep. by the time we got to the semifinals, high caliber, high level teams, some of the best drivers, and then of course the final under the lights, it was it was pretty epic. Really was epic. So uh, of our assembled group here, how many of you have come to Brainerd this weekend to see Pro Stock for the first time in four years, right? A lot of Pro Stock fans out there. <laughs> how many of you have come here to watch Eric Anders win Pro Stock for the first time in four years? All right, so there's a pretty good amount of Erica fans here. She's gonna be up with us as our, our first guest. And kind of before we have her come up here, you and I have been talking over the last few days about you know, some of the things she had said that we're gonna ask her about regarding her feelings when she won Bristol, uh, kind of saying that people had written them off. Had you written them off? I, I had not written them off. I had not put that in my book. No, and we're going to find out. You know, I'm, I'm just so anxious to ask her a few questions, uh, maybe some things that, you know, we don't have time to yeah. cover. And, you know, and I don't, I, I think some things um, as it unfolds on the racetrack, yeah. I think it's our place to, uh, you know, to, to point some of those things out, to inquire yeah. about, you know, what happens. Uh, you know, and I think some things are off limits when it comes to, you know, the personal challenges of a driver, but I, I think it it's going to be interesting having her up here. It really is, and when we talk about the Nitro Funny Car category, the final round in Topeka was totally awesome. Matt Hagen and Bob Tasca the third. Tasca makes the quickest run of the weekend, one of the quickest runs he has made the entire season. Goes up there, loads up a 388 into a car that had not made it to the finish line the entire day under power. Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting story. You know, the name sounds familiar. He was in a winner's circle here a year ago. And, um, you know, we've seen him. We saw him win several races last year. The expectations, I think, for all of us fans that were following Nitro Funny Car were for him to be there in the end. 
And even going back a year before, they rattled off two or three consecutive wins. And at the end of last year, uh, he had a tuner who was now uh, has some stake in uh, in a top fuel car and tuning for Schumacher. Um, but it's it's pretty interesting because they they literally just went down to the last race. The the tuner, the assistant tuner, they just packed up and left. I mean, they walked, so they really left. But this happens, you know. So don't feel never feel bad for a guy with his own jet. <laughs> I saw that in a movie with Anthony Hopkins, but it was called The Edge. But you know, Tasca in in, in a very short amount of time. Uh, he made some phone calls. He consulted with the right people. But, but I almost wonder if he, in the back of his mind, had a backup already. But he made some really tough decisions in, in a 24-hour span, and he pulled together a, a legitimate tuner. Yeah, Aaron Brooks a and Actually, Tonica two Harvard. of them. Yeah. Two of them. Yeah. But he hired two to work together, and, and I, think, I think that was a pretty impressive, amazing strategy. And I don't know if he realized how well it would have worked, but here is the same team with the same owner, same car, and maybe a similar combination, but a, a couple of different tuners that once again are winning races and once again find themselves in a position to challenge for a championship. And so everybody knows that, that Bob's Mr. Ford, his family's been involved in Ford for a hundred years basically. So we always talk about, you know, you always want to win your sponsor's race. You always want to win a race where you have some executives present. Well, this dude wins on Sunday flies out of Topeka with a Wally in his hand, and then goes into executive meetings with William Clay Ford, Jim Farley, who runs the company, and then he's hanging out with Tim Allen and all these guys. So there could not have been better timing as far as celebrating a win than parking that Wally on the desk in front of the Ford executives. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how that works. You know, as a former driver, former team owner, sometimes I used to get, and I think all of these uh, team owners, drivers, they, they tend to just get caught up and, and winning a race. It really is a big deal. It's not an easy thing to do. It's so competitive out here. There's so much on the line. It's, it's really a high-level sport. There's a lot of money involved, some politics. But what I found uh, pretty amazing is, and, and as the case was with Tasca, Elena Ford was there. They were on the phone with Jay Leno when they unveiled his car, but they really pay attention. Just when you think they, they may not be as much, you get a phone call from, you know, from the CEO or VP of one of these companies that, su that support, and some of them are Fortune 500 companies. So I think it's a compliment to Tasca and his relationship with his sponsors. But it really also says a lot about our sport and how we showcase it on Fox and FS1 that you can go through an airport, yeah. you know, and I don't think he was carrying that trophy, but a lot of people yeah. stopped him. They watched the race. So, you know, sometimes we kind of live in our little bubble and yeah. think, you know, we're just, we get caught up in work and trying to pr provide and produce a good show. And, and sometimes, you know, people like yourselves just remind us that you were watching. And, and that's a good thing. Going to be the tale of two drag races this weekend. So today, obviously, we got the Haze, which I think is another gift from Canada from the wildfires. I live in New England, and we get plenty of this, too. So we got the Haze today. That's going to moderate the track temperature some. Air is air is good for making power, certainly better than it was in Topeka to a degree. Tomorrow, it's going to become very warm. We expect full sunshine, about 90 degrees. We do have our Mission Too Fast, Too Tasty challenge on Saturdays, where we're going to see those semifinalists actually race again. But then comes Sunday. High is 75 and cloudy, and we're going to get the Brainerd. The Brainerd <laughs> that we know and love is going to show up on Sunday, which is throw the toolbox at it conditions. Yeah, and we really visit a lot of nice facilities. You know, Bruton Smith, he owns Charlotte, Vegas, Bristol, Sonoma. It's, it's so pretty up there. And he has some of the nicest facilities. We revisited Chicago, Route 66. Yep. And, and that, that was always one of the nicest places that we raced at. But you guys have the zoo. 
Nobody has the zoo. No Nobody one has, has a zoo, zoo like like they do here in Brainerd. But you also own the track records in Nitro Funny Car and some astonishing records in Top Fuel. And I, I think you guys should feel good about that. I think it was 2017, and it that was. was we call that the era of the laid back headers, and and that didn't take long, you know, for it to catch on. Not in Top Fuel, but in Nitro Funny Car. And it wasn't the first time it was ever tried. I think uh, you go back to the 70s and 80s, and a lot of racers, a lot of crew chiefs said, "Hey, we tried that. It just didn't yeah. work." But it worked this time because as the aerodynamics evolved and developed. Um, and really, it was Cruz with the Snap-on car was the first one. He didn't tell anyone, but all the racers would look at the scoreboard, at the sheet, and they couldn't quite figure out how was this car getting to 60 feet quicker? How was it accelerating to 330 feet? And I don't know who it was. Uh, maybe it was someone on Force's team. They may have been the second, but it took a little while for it to catch on. Meanwhile, Cruz was reeling off a few wins. But in 2017, all the racers came here. The conditions were just right. And I think I remember seeing Matt Hagen alongside of Robert Hyde, a 379 to a 380. And, and those yeah. memories are just so embedded in my mind. And it all happened here. For those of you that are watching the stream from home, you're getting an overhead view of the zoo from the drone which we'll leave there until it starts to receive anti-aircraft fire. <laughs> and then we'll get, the, we'll get the drone out of there. But the, one of the neatest parts of this race is the fact that Brainerd, Minnesota falls into a, a really great kind of like a vacation land area where people come up here and hang out on the lakes. A lot of the teams use this as kind of a team building week where they will get into town and maybe go out in a pontoon boat for the day. And you see the guys that went on the pontoon boat because they are all just red like a lobster uh, working on the car <laughs> over the course of the weekend. But let's talk a little bit about that culture and how different races are are different meaning that this is the type of place you take the boys out for a day to reward their hard work it is and I, I think there's really only a few of those you know of course when we went to Sonoma a lot of the teams it's not hard to get the wives there yeah. and even a lot of the sponsors because they can see all the wineries there and and this is an easy sell because of all the lakes and just the beauty of it and you know the the flip side is it's two and a half hour drive from Minneapolis so that loses some appeal we'd love to have you know, we'd love to be closer, but the upside of that is, you know, we're here and we're a little bit segregated from everything else, but that has its upside because it really makes it more like a resort style feel. And I remember when I was racing, a lot of the team would want to come here and, and get on a boat and, and that was okay. I would say that's okay, but nothing better happened to this car this weekend. <laughs> I always preferred to save it to laughter, but it, it really is, it's a neat place. And when I look around at the homes and just the facility, it's really nice. Now, when it gets cold, I, as you can see from my skin color, I'm from south of the border. So I am going to head south. When does it get cold here? It, it's not in October. It's before that, isn't it? Yeah, we, winter comes early. We might see it start to fall on Sunday, actually. So we got some warm-ups going on in the pit area. You can hear in the background, we're expecting uh, expecting Eric Anders any minute now. I may have to text her and remind her, but otherwise, let's talk a little bit about Top Fuel. We have Justin Ashley's pit area behind us. He's going to be joining us uh, in a few minutes here on the show. We talked about this again, but it's a point I'd like to make and, and go back through with you in that that team is starting to remind me of what we saw out of the Capco boys in that 2019 era when they were really beginning to hit their licks. And that's exactly what we're watching that Phillips Connect car do these days. You know, it really is. I think to see one driver and one team dominate in this era, and, and you know, I think we saw this coming a year ago, uh, but it's really peaked at this point. I mean, you look around in the pits, Steve Torrance is still in the game. He's not as good as we expect him to be. He's still hovering around second. That car is as good as any car. You see Brittany Force, Doug Coletta. I mean, his, his um, stock is rising. Uh, Josh Hart here behind us. You know, there's really a lot of good drivers and a lot of good teams. And to see one guy that's able to reel off 
you know, six victories. Six victories so far. It the is, only other driver that has more than one is Clay Milliken with two. Yeah, it is impressive, but also when you look at the driver's performance. So there's the team, and they have to be good. They have to be reliable and efficient. They have to make sure that car mechanically is assembled. If it's not, if it's not assembled and put together right, the tuner's not going to be able to tune it. But the team's very good. They're efficient. Um, the tuner is, is, you know, extremely talented. Yes. And uh, he's got a couple of championships under his belt. And this is a team that we saw perform very well last year. They just didn't, they just didn't peak at the right time. They didn't perform in the countdown. They had a couple of first round losses that really took them out of the championship. They did. I think they finished fifth. So it's not often you get a second chance in, in these cars. And I think for Justin Ashley and his team, they will be staring down the barrel of another chance at a championship. What are the lessons a team learns coming off a year like they had at the tail end of last year where everything was going along and then the wheels kind of started wobbling on the wagon? So what, what do you do to avoid the same fate the year after? Well, I, I think it, that's one of the questions that I'd like to I'd yep. like to ask Justin. I want to hear his take because it depends. It depends on what their parts inventory was, um, if they were able to to accurately diagnose why things happened the way that they did. Why did that car lose traction yeah. so many times in the first round? Why did they exit early Sunday morning so many times? So um, it may be related to you know some some you know uh, maybe economics that they weren't able to feed that car clutch disc. You hear it all the time. Sometimes I think it's an excuse. It's a scapegoat for the tuner to say this is why it happened. Uh, I don't buy it all the time. I do know that sometimes the tuners. Um, their ego might get in the way, so they might want to place the blame on the driver or clutch disc or something else. And I think the smartest ones, I think the best ones, accept and hold themselves accountable for making the wrong decision when it comes to the car losing traction. And that seems to be one of the most common things that take the good cars out of competition. They either break traction or the car uh, loses a cylinder. It, it, you know, it, we call it dropping a cylinder, but one of the cylinders just uh, misfires or, or loses fire. Those are the two most common things that uh, that these that are challenges for these nitro cars. Let's talk about the biggest hidden story in pro stock this weekend that I'm guaranteeing nobody out here knows about. The familiar face that's making an interesting return this weekend. And uh, Jason Line, ring a bell to you guys. You guys remember Jason Line? Well, Jason He's Line. He's crew chief in this weekend for. He is back, but not in the way that you would think. He is uh, he has gone to the other side. He is no longer with the KB Titan team and uh, Greg Anderson. We saw that partnership for was over 20 oh, years. Yeah. Uh, but he will now be tuning this weekend for Elite and Bo Butner. So that is that is something. Yeah, that is something. That is uh, that that same <laughs> reaction is what the whole pits had. There will, the, be, there will be fireworks. There will be some fireworks, and uh, you know <laughs> Bo's car right now is is not performing to the degree they want it to be. He's back in the back half of the top ten. I actually think he slid to eleventh last week, uh, losing in the first round. So you, you make you got to make big decisions. You've been in that spot before as a team owner. When you look at your stuff and you survey your stuff, you try to find the missing piece to, to reverse course. We know Bo's a former champion. We know they have all the resources and. There's nothing wrong with another champion who is also an incredible mechanic and a fresh set of eyes reevaluating the situation. Well, look, we hear it all the time in this sport especially, and a lot of times I think teams default to that, but they say, well, it's about a friendship or they're like family. And, and uh, that is true to some degree, but make no mistake about it. This is a business, this is a high stakes game. And when it comes down to performance and, and the financial depth of some of these teams, uh, and they want to perform better, their expectations become more. So 
the friendships, uh, you know, they kind of fall by the wayside. And when it's all said and done, it is about winning and it's about performance. And this is a change that the elite team made to bring in a talent that just so happened to have a history with the biggest competition. So speaking of the biggest competition, she's getting uh, earpieced and mic'd up right now. She'll be coming up on the stage momentarily. Eric Anders, five-time and defending Pro Stock World Champion, will be our first guest. And it's going to be a fun conversation. She's, uh, she's in a different spot than we're used to seeing her at this point of the year. And we're going to get into a little bit of why that came to be and how they've worked their way out of what was uh, kind of a tough-looking jam they were in earlier on this season. But they are coming out of it with the big win in Topeka, Kansas, which we, we talked about. And another showdown with Greg Anderson. Yeah, and Erica is really the staple. You know, it's always been Erica and Greg Anderson. Uh, you know, we w recognize the Coughlin name because it's a yellow car and it's, it says Jags, but it's Troy Coughlin Jr. We were so familiar with seeing Jag, who was and always will be one of the biggest talents to ever step foot in a pro stock car in his era. Um, but you look at the talent in pro stock, you have all these young drivers. You have Kyle Koretsky, Aaron Stanfield, Mason McGahey, and then you have you have everyone that, that is still here, like Greg Anderson, and you know, like Top Fuel and even Funny Car. I think the caliber of talent is there, and you know, we somehow continue to just see the same person rise to the occasion. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Anders, your five-time and defending Pro Stock World Champion, your Topeka winner. That kind of happened at the right time. Absolutely the right time. I overheard you guys discussing that the countdown needed to start right then for us, and uh, <laughs> we were able to come out swinging, but uh, super challenging day. I mean, I, uh, I did not have any slackers for competitors <laughs> in the other lane, that's for sure. Um, Chris McGaha, Dallas Glenn, Greg Anderson. I mean, it's crazy. Aaron Stanfield, my teammate. I was, uh, I was worried I wasn't gonna get around him second round, and, and we were able to mow through the day. So this to me, and I'll, I'm sorry, Tony, uh, this win felt a lot different than the Bristol win in that, to me, you win at, winning at Bristol's in any class is almost like a survival contest, right? This was, this was a kind of defining win of the season for me because not only did you have to stand up there with these cars, you had to perform with the highest performing cars and points earners in the category. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right about Bristol. Bristol's definitely a tricky racetrack. The surface is very interesting for a suspended race car. Um, but coming out on top there was, uh, was super exciting because we were kind of clawing our way out of that slump that we were in. But it was definitely different in Topeka, doing it in the fashion that we did. And it was, it was very challenging to get a light there. It's a little loose up there. Um, so I was like 20s all day, and I knew I had to rip it against Dallas, and we were able to be double O there. But uh, yeah, you definitely had to, had to rise to the occasion. Erica, Brian and I were talking. I don't know if you overheard the conversation. We were talking about, of course, Greg Anderson and Jason Line. Is there any noticeable difference in the, in the mood or in the, in, in the elite pit now that uh, Jason Line seems to be is there any overflow, or is he strictly How'd y'all hear about this already? <laughs> well, well, listen, we're on the insider. It's called the Insider Podcast, <laughs> oh, not the guy on the corner word, podcast. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's going to be a sighting at some point, but you oh, know how yeah. this works. It's so hard to keep a, sec a secret, and, you know, it's just something that we heard from a, a few credible sources. So, uh, you know, it's big news for us because we know the history between the KB team and Jason Line, and, you know, just the fact that he's coming over for a few reasons, but it all comes down to you know, pushing Bo to try to get him in the winner's circle, improving his performance. But do you guys find with all those cars and all those teams that you're a little short on manpower and talent that can't tend to every car? I, I don't think that's accurate at all. I mean, we, you can definitely always use more help, right? But the guys that we have under that canopy over there are more than, more than qualified and extremely talented. But with nine pro stock cars, you can be perceived to be spread thin, and a lot of people think that that's why we had a lack of performance at the beginning of the season, which had absolutely nothing to do with it. So um, 
in, in any way, Jason Line is a great addition. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. Um, and him and Bo worked very closely yeah. when Bo won the world championship. So um, we're excited to have him over there. The, the <laughs> I was just sitting in the crew chief lounge with all the guys having a meeting, and it's, uh, it's pretty comical. So we're going to have some fun. So you're in an interesting spot because, and, and I'm, I'm wondering how this sits with you, because we get to talk about you at least for the next week or two as kind of an underdog here to a degree, right? You're down 12, 13, 14 in the points after the first five or six races, kind of in a spot we'd never seen you before. And then we start to see that systematic kind of climb. Now we get towards the U.S. Nationals. I mean, if the if the clouds fall out of the sky, there's a shot you could end up second or even flirt with it because of points and a half at Indy. But do you want to go in as two or three because it kind of gives you a little bit more of a chip on your shoulder? You're not looking over your shoulder this year. You're looking forward. <laughs> it definitely gives you a different perspective because when you're when you're in the lead, it's it's essentially yours to lose, even yeah. though that's not the case and that's not how you view it. But going into Reading last year, like before the countdown started, right, we had like a 400 and something odd yes. point lead, like super substantial, and, and it really sucks to give that away. But at the same time, like the first race of the countdown, I was more nervous there than I was ever that I can remember because I didn't want to give it back because yep. it's those six races that are super crucial to obviously the outcome at the end of the year. So um, I think that we're in a great position. I kind of like the, the chip on my shoulder thing. I kind of like clawing my way back and I, I'll go toe to toe with any of these guys, as you know. So we're excited about, about what's ahead and we just got to keep our focus, keep our head down and, and go to work. But yeah, um, I set the goal going into Topeka I'm like I'm coming for these guys I want to go in the countdown number two tall order but we've done uh, we've done a lot crazier things in my career Erica when you won Bristol and, and it's I don't think for anyone else it wouldn't be a losing streak but you got off to the worst start of your career <laughs> and when you finally won Bristol you made a comment when uh, when you did your top end interview and you said something about all the negative comments and all the people that wrote you off who exactly were those people were they fans or your competition where do you hear that noise come from most of it's from the people that know the least that matter the least <laughs> and those are the keyboard warriors on the on the internet i hate the freaking interweb it drives me crazy because they can say whatever they want with zero consequence but it's just that but to hear that negative scuttlebutt it just it's super frustrating because i feel like we've we've done a lot in in my career in pro stock and way more than as a kid with big dreams that i ever thought i could you know with five world championships and 45 wins it's it's hard to read on the internet oh she's a has-been and never was be she only got here because her dad has money blah 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 just shut up that has to be motivating to oh, you. Yeah. i mean as you don't have enough <laughs> as it is yeah that that has to be more drive for you when you do read that and hear that i get so much satisfaction out of proving people wrong it's unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> and look i think i think all of us you, you find the motivation in your own life where you want to find it right sometimes you can go looking for it and sometimes it kind of finds you and and you've it's almost comical when we have these conversations. It's like we wore Steve Torrance out for a year. And we're, what happened to you guys? It's like yeah. we're second in the points. What do you mean what happened to us? We're right here. And so it, it almost seems like, and it's our job to tell stories and, and to highlight stories, but there are times when I know whether it's you or anybody along this thing just wants to look at us and be like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And I get it. But, you know, so but you've never done that. Some people have. You've never done it. Well, thanks. I don't. No, I, I mean, no, it, it, speaks to, it speaks to you. 
in a way that like you've never told us to go away. Oh, we've, no. we've talked to you after painful losses. Like you've stood in there and you've stood in there and answered the questions. I'll, I'll always answer because I know one day nobody's going to want to stick a microphone in my face or ask for my autograph. So I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely going to enjoy it while it lasts. But you know, the media, it, even outside of drag racing, always tends to direct towards the negative aspect of everything, and we just try to keep it as positive as we can. And you know, sometimes it gets uh, annoying to hear, yeah, you know, we had this problem, but we're working really hard yeah. at it, and we're going to come back. Like that's kind of what you say, right? But we believe it, and and here we are. So, Erica, when you go back in the history of pro stock, we spoke a little bit about Greg Anderson, and of course, Jed Coughlin came up. You know, we see Troy out here trying to etch his name in that part of the history, the family history. But when you go back into pro stock, I, I just there are a few big names that stick out to me. But but name us a few of the drivers in pro stock, and maybe go back to the beginning a few of them that are really going to stand out to you that you hope that your name is etched right alongside of maybe those top three or five. Well, the first one I'm going to think of is Bob Glidden. It's his birthday today. He would have been 79. But, oh, wow. Um, yeah, fun fact. But he was uh, he was an intricate part of my career. And as a, a gentleman from a, another generation that didn't necessarily think females could work alongside a men, like I was very apprehensive about working with him. I was nervous that he was going to not like me. And he took me under his wing and uh, really just taught me a lot. Only things that Bob Glidden could teach you, but um, super great guy and, and obviously the leader in pro stock with 10 world championships. Uh, behind him being Warren Johnson with six, uh, the professor. So um, he held the record with most wins for a very, very long time yes, until did. Greg blew by him last year. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, Bob, Warren, Jed Coughlin, uh, I think he is like your true race car driver. Yeah. He can get in anything and be successful at it. And, and that goes along with the entire Coughlin family. Um, TJ's doing a tremendous job in, in his old car and, and he will definitely make a name for himself. He already has one, but he's a, he's a heck of a wheelman and he studies and he hits the practice tree as a simulator with a, a Liberty in the car. So um, he's definitely working hard at it. But Jed Coughlin, Greg Anderson, Bob Glidden, Warren, Mike Edwards, my good buddy, Brutus, Alan Johnson, who's coming back in Indy. So. That's a good <laughs> list. That's a good list. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Superstars of Pro Stock. One last thing we want to bring up because you're on the cusp of another piece of history. And I know, as we've talked many times on a personal level, you want to be recognized as a drag racer. Yes. The, the fact that you happen to be female is a, is a great part of the, of the <laughs> equation, but it's not the defining part of your life. But that being said, we track and keep, keep records on everything. So now you and Angel are tied at 46 national event wins if we count your pro stock and your sportsman national event victories. So you're one away from becoming the all-time leader here, which de facto makes you the all-time leader of any motorsport globally, where females participate on the same ground as men. It's a, it's a pretty significant thing. It's, it's pretty huge, and if I remove myself from the situation and just read that in print, it's, uh, it's substantial and it's huge. And again, I'll mention as a little kid with big dreams, you know, starting in a junior dragster and moving through the Lucas Oil Series for five years and now be, being behind the wheel of a pro stock car for 20 years, um, you know, I got to race alongside of those guys yes, that did. I just named, um, and, and, it's, and it's crazy. So. Uh, Angel has been a hero of mine since I was a little girl. I had the Angel t-shirt. I stood behind her pit with her autograph card. And so I've looked up to her for a long time and, and she's become a friend of mine over the years. And, um, you know, to, to be mentioned alongside of her is very cool. But to have the shot at, at being the winningest female in motorsports, in any form of motorsports, yeah. is pretty badass. Totally is. And uh, <laughs> Erica, we thank you so much for taking some time this afternoon with us. Good luck this weekend. Who's pulling for the Johnson's Horsepower Garage Camaro this weekend? <laughs> thank you, guys. So we're going to let Erica go back to work. We have Justin Ashley waiting in the wings right now. Erica, thank you so much. And, thank you, guys. Uh, go back to signing autographs and doing pro stock stuff in the pro stock pit area. Good luck, Erica. 
Justin Ashley, who's pitted right there, is making his way over to the stage right now. And it's always great to talk to her. I think it's cool to get a little insight and perspective. You know, they race hard over there. And, and I think there are days where people say, oh, the elite team and this team. But you cannot argue against results. Yeah, and I think that's really what it comes down to, whether you're a fan of hers, you're a fan of that team, and what they do and how they do it. But one thing you can't deny is you can never deny talent. The cream rises to the top, as the cliche goes, and you cannot deny her talent and what she has been able to do uh, consistently for the last several races because there are, are good drivers, there are average drivers, there's average drivers in good cars, yeah. there's good cars with below average drivers <laughs> but when you have a good driver and a good car and sometimes when the car's off the driver will save it, it up but when it's all said and done is it not all about winning and that is something that she has managed to do and you cannot deny that coming onto the stage right now six time top fuel winner on the 2023 season driver of the phillips connect kato fasters toyota lucas oil top fuel dragster justin ashley what's going on man Ooh, I like that. A round of applause, too. I appreciate it, guys. How are you guys? How was the Vikings training camp? Oh, it was crazy. You know, I was hoping I would be able to run some routes and catch some passes. Uh, I was not, but I got to meet Kirk Cousins, which was a, uh, a great experience. And first-class organization. It was a lot of fun, you know, going from getting psyched up about this sport to going to watch these big offensive linemen who could look like they could push me over with a pinky. <laughs> um, it was really a lot of fun. Now, how cool would it be if he can pull off the win this weekend and get out of the car and look at the cameras and say, you like that? Oh, right? that's good. You're dialing me up now. That's a good idea. I, I'm a big Cousins fan. I've been told that I need to show a little bit more emotion, so I think this is the perfect opportunity <laughs> take right to there. say, you like that. <laughs> yes, that's a good. I like that one. So, man, we mentioned it, of course. We It's the big title story here. It's six wins on the season, uh, uh, an era when this shouldn't happen anymore, when nobody should be able to come out here and win a half dozen races, and everybody else is lucky to have one or two. What's the secret sauce going in there? It's... <laughs> I wish there was one secret answer that I could tell you what it was, but man, it just takes a team. And you know, the funny thing is people see the six races that we've won this year, but what did it take to get there? It took three or four years of laying a foundation, laying a base, and then being able to have that and grow upon it. And we did a lot of work in the off season. This prep really started in December of 2022, making sure that we came out because the competition was going to be so tough and make sure that we were ready to go. So um, it's been a really good start. But as you guys know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the final six races yep. anyway. So we've got to find a way to keep that momentum and keep learning and apply it moving forward. Justin, let's go back a year ago. You guys won multiple races. There were times that you looked good enough to compete and win a championship. And, you know, we fully expected you to be there. And you were. You finished in the top five. Uh, that's a good year. Um, but those last six races, if you can go back to how you performed and how you were performing this year, you appear to be better. I mean, the wins are a little more impressive. The performance is a little more consistent. The performance is a little bit better. What have you guys done to change things so you don't find yourself in those last six races, that countdown to the championship, so, so the same thing doesn't happen, where you have those early first-round exits? That's a great question. I think what we've done is really tried to prepare far in advance. I think we caught ourselves for a number of different reasons, um, a little bit behind the eight ball, whether it had to do with parts, pieces, equipment. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's a reflection on us. So this year, we took it upon ourselves to make sure that at the end of the year, we have everything in place. We're fully prepared from a parts, pieces, and equipment standpoint. And we have all the right tune-ups in place from all these different tracks. Because as we know, yeah. when we get into the fall, it's going to get cool. So we're experiencing a lot of hot weather right now, but it's going to be totally different in the fall. So we just want to make sure that we're prepped well in advance for that. 
This is not a sport where we award style points, right? You gotta, you gotta earn a lapse time, you gotta earn some speed. But you have not seen two grown men smiling like idiots every time we watch your car leave the starting line. When In Sonoma, when that thing was pulling wheelies, every run, the two of us would be like, oh, that's so awesome. So I'm complimenting you in one direction, but also that was a strategy that helped win you the damn race. It was cool. I yeah. wish we could all win races doing that. It's so much fun. You know, look, it has to do with weight distribution. It has to do with the tune-up, the way the crew chiefs, Tommy and Mike, are tuning the race car. At the end of the day, it's great. It's great for yeah. the fans, but it's about the results. And when we can do that and we're running well and it all comes together, it's awesome. But it's about that number on the scoreboard. It's about the wind light. So uh, I think you said it, Brian. You said top fuel wheelies today, tomorrow, and forever. Yeah. I think that's about right. I agree with that statement. You can put that, you can put that on a T-shirt. You don't owe me anything. I think we could. Yeah. Thanks. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but that did remind me of something. And I figured it out after the fact. That really took us back to when Joe Amato was racing. And Tim Richards was tuning his car, and he was winning championships, and that car would leave with the front end up in the air. But we talk so much about reaction times in top fuel and a funny car. That makes the difference between winning races. But one of the other things that are important that a driver has to be able to do, and where he has to have talent, not just leaving the starting line, but what are the other important parts of driving? There's so many important parts, and you know it, Tony, from the days when you drove. It's so important to be consistent. The best drivers in the world are the ones who do the same thing each and every time up and down the racetrack, and it's much easier said than done. And I mean, by the way you warm up the car, to the way you do the burnout, back up and line up the car straight and keep it in the groove. So there's so many little nuances that make a great driver and that make an elite and an excellent championship-level driver. So these are things that I'm working on with Tommy DeLago and Mike Green each and every race because the reaction times are important. They make a difference, but everything else in between also makes a huge difference. So yeah, that is equally as important. It just doesn't necessarily show up on the back of the baseball card, if you will. I think to a degree, as uh, that is Robert Heights car being warmed up over there, but... <laughs> I think to a degree, Justin, your personality matches Mike Green and Tommy DeLagos together. The three of you guys have your own intensity. It is not a screaming and yelling and stomping your feet intensity, but it's an approach and it's a lockdown. Talk a little bit about that, because you have to be able to communicate freely, freely with those guys to succeed. Yeah, you know, it's it's one thing to, to have a good team and have good individuals, but it's how they work collectively as a group. Yep. And you have to be able to mesh together, and the whole team you know, myself, Tommy, Mike, but the whole team as a group really meshes well together and we have open lines of communication. That's so important. There's no egos on this team. It's not about the statistics. It's about turning on wind lights and finding ways to do that. So it's really been open lines of communication. So important about ways that we can all make each other better. Um, and I think that's really a big reason why we've had a lot of successes here. But there are people nipping at our heels yeah. left and right and we feel it, whether it's Steve or even those cars behind Steve that are right there. So we just got to figure out a way to continue to move forward, continue to learn, continue to grow, and keep that communication flowing so when we really need it, when the time comes in the countdown, we're clicking on all cylinders. One last question before I let you go back to work and you guys warm your car up. Mission Too Fast, Too Tasty points. You guys have done a spectacular job with those this year, and those are going to come into play for the first time ever. We kind of know what it looks like on paper, but until we finish Indy and actually see what the spread changes, that's going to kind of be an eye-opener for a lot of people. How concerned, in a good way, are you with grabbing not only three today or this weekend, but also the final three at Indy? Yeah, we're only talking six points, but as you well know, that can, that can measure up at the end of the year. It's huge. It's tremendous. We're very concerned in a good way. Yeah. 
like you said, because they all add up, and they add up really quickly. Um, especially you look at Pomona, which is points and a half, and how that can have a major swing. All these points from the Mission Foods Challenge become that much more significant. Yep. So we take each round really seriously in qualifying, especially during the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. So it's definitely on our mind. And we know that each and every race, like for this race, for example, if we go to the semifinals, we know we're going to have an opportunity to collect more points the next weekend after that. And the way it's situated with when those points come into play after the reset adds just that much more of an importance to it. And you know what? Puts on a good show for the fans. It adds more meaningful racing. So all the way around, it's good stuff. Now, we just got to find a way to get Tony back in the car, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> I like the body. I, my last question, Justin, six wins. What we see is very impressive. Is there one area, and, and I? this is just my observation, I've been doing this for seven years now, and I've noticed that some of the best drivers seem to be the most critical about how they do. They can win a race, and they're still figuring out what they did right or what they did wrong. Is there anything that you feel that you could do? We know you have the quickest rea reaction time, but you've talked about the timing, the procedure, the consistency on the burnout. Is there any area from start till the time you get out of the car that you feel you can improve? There's a lot of them. Um, there's a lot of room for growth, but I'll tell you one area in particular is going down the racetrack when I get past, let's say past half track and I start to get to like 650, 700 feet, the car starts to wiggle around a little bit. And that's something that we looked at. Um, you know, it could be me moving my hands over to throw the parachutes out. It could be a number of different reasons, making sure that I stay focused on my point ahead. But that's something that I'm actively trying to improve on as an area, making sure that, you know, the, when you keep the car A to B as straight as possible, the quicker and the faster it's going to go. So that wiggle down at the end of the track, um, you know, when you're behind 11,000 horsepower is not always an easy thing, but that's an area in particular that I'm working on as a driver. Nice. Well, there you have it. Justin Ashley, a second fun guest here in this first ever live version of the NHRA Insider Podcast, and it will not be the last. We're going to be at the U.S. Nationals in a couple weeks, so we got a fun surprise plan for all of you. For those of you that tuned in today on Facebook, on YouTube, or on the NHRA.com website, thank you very much. A big thanks to Justin and Eric Anders. Thanks to you, Tony. And I think we got to go upstairs and get ready to do our real job now. Yeah, we're smelling nitro, and uh, we're not getting emotional because Justin's up here, but that means <laughs> it's time to, time to get it. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you at the U.S. Nationals, and make sure you listen to the NHRA Insider Podcast on NHRA.tv or anywhere you can download your audio podcast each and every week.